Hello out there, you science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP Biology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Velasquez, your Master of Biological Arts. This is Episode 2, Week 2 of the 2019-2020 school year. In this week's podcast, we will review the week of August 26th through August 30th in AP Biology and look forward to the coming week as well. Spoiler alert, exam coming up next week. We will also discuss a little bit about the near extinction of the white northern rhino and the efforts to try to save their species. And in our final segment, with summer winding down, I will give you my list of my top five summer movies of 2019. So let's put on our time-space GPS and enter the quantum tunnel and do whatever it takes to go back to Monday and review the day that was. We started the week by beginning our journey into Chapter 2, The Chemical Basis of Life, Basic Chemistry, reviewing the essential chemistry concepts we will be building on as we proceed through the semester. We discussed how chon, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, make up 96% of all living matter, with the other 4% being sulfur, phosphorus, potassium, and calcium. We defined trace elements, essential elements we need, but only in minute quantities like 0.0001%, like iron and iodine. We discuss how iron we need to help us bind oxygen to our blood so it could be delivered to all of our tissues, and iodine we also need in minute quantities to prevent from getting goiters. We highlighted the basic structure of an atom, with the electrons being the most important in biology because that's where the energy is at with those electrons being further away from the nucleus, having the most potential energy. The states of potential energy or position of electrons in an atom can be described as being in energy shells or energy levels with the outermost level or shell being called the valence shell and the electrons in that shell being called valence electrons. We reviewed electron configuration and how to draw electron configuration Remember, the key thing to remember is the 288 rule. First shell, two electrons max. Second shell, eight. And third shell, eight electrons as well. And for biology, we mostly only deal with elements that have three energy shells. We then discussed how atoms with incomplete valence shells are chemically reactive, where the unpaired electrons end up interacting with other atoms' valence electrons, creating bonds between them. The first type of bond we reviewed was covalent, which is when atoms share valence electrons to complete their outer shell. Covalent bonds are strong bonds, but how they share their electrons determines whether it will be a nonpolar or polar covalent bond. Now, nonpolar covalent bonds share electrons equally. Both atoms have what we call the same electronegativity, which is the affinity or pool for shared electrons. In a nonpolar covalent bond, the pool is equal, so they share the electrons equally. In a polar covalent bond, one atom has a lot more greater electronegativity than the other, causing an unequal sharing of electrons. This is due to one of the atoms pretty much being an electron hog, where it pulls the electrons closer to its own nucleus. With the electrons spending more time around that nucleus of that atom, it causes the molecule to have opposite charges on opposite sides. The example we tend to always use in biology and is crucial to life is water. When hydrogen shares electrons with oxygen, 
that oxygen pulls the electrons closer to its own nucleus, giving it a slight negative charge. The hydrogens are left with pretty much just a single proton inside their nucleus, giving it a slight positive charge. Because remember, those electrons are pretty much not even spending too much time there. And this is all because, once again, oxygen has huge electronegativity and is that electron hog causing this polar covalent bond. Next, we talked about ionic bonds. Also strong bonds, but here, there's no sharing of electrons. Here, you have one atom that just strips, pretty much takes away an electron from another atom. Straight out thievery. When this happens, this transfer of electrons, not sharing, transfer, it's going to leave unneutral atoms. Atoms that now have a charge with it that we end up calling ions because now they either have extra or missing electrons. The atom that strips away the electron now has more electrons than protons, giving it an overall negative charge. We end up calling this atom an anion. The atom that is now missing an electron now has more protons than electrons, giving it a positive charge that we call a cation. Meow, meow. Because now these two atoms have opposite charges. Well, what do we know about opposite charges? Well, they attract and they end up forming a strong ionic bond. We then focused on weaker bonds called hydrogen bonds and van der Waals interactions. Once again, these are going to be weak bonds compared to covalent and ionic. Now, hydrogen bonds always involves a hydrogen that is already covalently bonded to an electronegative atom, but can still be attracted to another electronegative atom of another molecule due to the opposite charges they might have. Now, these bonds, once again, are weak and usually don't last very long. Van der Waal interactions are the weakest of these bonds and are only going to occur when atoms are very close together and then only last milliseconds. However, while really weak individually, occurring in high amounts, like a million van der Waal interactions at a time, they could be pretty strong. A cool example that your book talks about is how geckos use van der Waals interactions to actually be able to climb on walls. We then finished up our notes defining or reviewing two more terms, those being chemical reactions and chemical equilibrium, also known as dynamic equilibrium. Now, chemical reactions, this is where matter is rearranged. Bonds are broken, they're formed again, and we go from reactants to products. Now, the two biggest reactions we cover this year are going to be photosynthesis and cell respiration. And lastly, we defined chemical equilibrium, also known as dynamic equilibrium, where several reactions in living organisms are apt, helping maintain homeostasis. And this is where forward and reverse reactions offset each other and there's no observable change. There's no net change in the reaction. And this brought us to an end of our notes over basic chemistry. We ended our Monday by having a little time to sign up for the AP classroom from College Board. And we also discussed pill bugs. You know, what are they? They're roly polies. We discussed how we need about 300 of them so we could start our first investigations of a living organism and experimental design. And remember, for every five pill bugs or roly polies you bring in, one extra credit point will be awarded on your first AP dual credit exam. Now, there is a limit of up to five extra credit points that can be earned. So 25 roly polies will give you that maximum extra credit. But by all means, please bring more if you find them out there. And this 
brings us to an end of our Monday. For Tuesday, we started by recapping our basic chemistry notes, hitting those main concepts of electron configuration and the types of bonds that are formed between molecules. However, our main objective for that day was another CER, Claim Evidence Reasoning Activity. This CER focused on a study of cats falling out of windows, a condition called feline high-rise syndrome. Students were given some data from this study, and in teams, you graphed the data, then proceeded to make your claim for it, provide evidence, and then give your reasoning for this odd data of why cats were falling from these windows, getting more injuries falling from about seven to eight floors, but strangely at lower floors, but very strangely at higher floors of about 20 or 30, those cats did not get as injured as bad from those falling from seven to eight floors. Now, while students were working in teams, each student did individually write up their own CER and graph as well. And that was our Tuesday. Next was Wednesday, which was quiz day over chapter two, basic chemistry, where students were given 12 minutes to demonstrate proficient to expert level knowledge over the essential chemistry of life. Now, after the quiz, we used the remainder of the class to continue working on our CER over cats falling out of windows, where most students were able to complete the activity in class and turn it in. And that was our Wednesday. So now we move on to Thursday. On Thursday, we started class with an extension activity on the previous day's CER on cats falling out of windows study. In this follow-up CER, students were given a graph showing the months of the year and the number of cats falling out of windows. Working in teams, students created a poster where they formulated a claim from the data, provided evidence, and then gave reasoning and justification on how the evidence supported their claim. They also included a drawing to summarize the CER, which some of these drawings were pretty entertaining. After the CER extension activity, we started our journey into chapter three, what I call our water is beast chapter. What makes water so beast? Well, it's polarity and structure make it pretty beast-like. In our notes, we drew a picture of water showing its polarity, the slight positive charges on the hydrogens, the slight negative charge on the oxygen due to the polar covalent bonds. And this ends up also giving water a distinct V shape or tetrahedral shape. We also drew a picture showing how water can hydrogen bond with up to four other water molecules. Because of this, it gives bees properties that not only allow life to exist on this planet, but to thrive on it as well. At this point, I wanna drop a little Easter egg for the quiz on Tuesday. You probably will have to draw a water molecule on this quiz and probably also show how it could hydrogen bond with at least one other water molecule. Remember, in your drawings, make sure you're complete. Make sure you have those charges on the water molecule and make sure you can identify that hydrogen bond. Now, once again, this hydrogen bonding with other water molecules is going to give it some beast-like properties. Now, our book breaks it down into about seven properties. I'm going to sum it up into five beast properties. What are they? Well, one, water is very cohesive. Two, water has a high specific heat. Three, also has a high heat of vaporization. Four, it expands when it freezes, or just saying also less dense as a solid is good as well. And finally, it is a very versatile solvent.
And this is where we ended our Thursday at this point with our notes. And now we move on to Friday, where we mostly focused on finishing our discussion of Beast Water. We defined each property, identified why the property happens, and the most important part, how it allows life to survive and thrive on this planet. So let's quickly review each one and focus on how it's important to living organisms. So when it comes down to cohesion and adhesion, both of those play a major force to help plants transport water against gravity upwards to the leaves. So this definitely helps them survive on this planet. Cohesion also gives water great surface tension, and that allows some extraordinary animals to be able to stand on that water or possibly even run across the water like the basilic lizard or the Jesus lizard that can run on the surface of water. When it comes to water's high specific heat, that's going to stabilize ocean temperatures, which allows marine life to thrive in these waters. Water's high heat of vaporization, that's going to allow some animals to pretty much keep themselves cool, prevent them from overheating due to the process of evaporative cooling. Water's expansion upon freezing, well, because of that, because water is less dense as a solid, it allows it to float, which ends up insulating the water below it, and it doesn't allow oceans or lakes to freeze solid, which will also allow marine life to continue to exist and thrive. And then finally, Water is a versatile solvent, which means it dissolves many substances. So when it comes to the human body, we know that most of our body is water. Most of our cells are water, and they're able to dissolve a lot of the nutrients that we take into our body, a lot of the salts, a lot of the sugar, which allows the cell to then be able to use these substances for whatever purpose they need them for. Now, that was a quick rundown. Make sure you go back and review these more in depth. Remember... Go back and make sure you can define them. Tell me why they're happening. Spoiler alert, most of the time it's hydrogen bonding. But then once again, the most important part, how are they important to living organisms? Make sure we make that connection to life. And this pretty much brought us to an end of our Friday and to our week that was in AP Biology. And now for our segment called Biology in the News. Did you know that only two northern white rhinos are left on this planet? Yes, that's right. A mother and her daughter are the only two of their species remaining. These beautiful, magnificent animals are on the edge of extinction, but there might be hope for their species yet with the help of in vitro fertilization. Yes, that's right. Test tube rhino babies. They're in the process of fertilizing about 10 eggs recovered from the females from sperm of male white rhinos that have died. They actually were able to fertilize seven of the 10 eggs successfully. The plan is now to implant these embryos into a closely related species of the white rhino, a surrogate mother, to hopefully give birth to more white rhinos continuing the species on this planet. I will keep you updated with this story throughout the year, and hopefully this species will continue on this planet. Well, it's time for our final segment called, What Does Mr. B Think About? Question mark. This week, with summer coming to an end, I want to share with you my top five summer movies of 2019. 
Now, a little warning with this list. I didn't get to see as many movies this summer as I wish I could have. And I probably missed some that might have made the list like Godzilla or John Wick. But I'm going to keep it to only the movies I actually got to see this summer. Now, coming in at number five is Lion King. Now, Lion King, I thought was an okay movie. Uh, the visuals were amazing, but it was pretty much the exact same story as the cartoon, which I love. But once again, there was nothing really that new about it. So it comes in at number five. Coming in at number four is actually going to be a Netflix movie, a movie called Always Be My Maybe, a romantic comedy that just surprised me. It is a really good movie. It is hilarious. It has one of the best cameos by Keanu Reeves in it that is just, oh, it's bonkers. It is awesome. And it's, once again, it's great. The acting's great. The story's great. And it's a feel-good romantic comedy. If you have not checked it out on Netflix, check it out. I don't think you will be disappointed. Coming in at number three, Spider-Man Far From Home. What can I say? The MCU does it again. Another great MCU movie just entertaining as possible the story's great the villain mysterio also great great development with his character and everything else the love story and then the twist at the end there's two twists at the end that i won't spoil it but are just kind of change everything about not just spider-man but about a little bit about the mcu as well coming in at number two toy story 4 which to confess i was a little scared about you know i love the first three the third one ended so perfectly that i thought the fourth one might mess up those first three but leave it to pixar to just knock it out of the park that fourth movie is amazing it's hilarious the story continues the character development is excellent forky is amazing and all the just there's like really deep storylines in this Toy Story 4. And you know, Toy Story 3 was kind of the end of Andy's story, but this one, it kind of continues with Woody's story and how he changes and grows throughout the entire movie. And just once again, an amazing movie. And finally, my number one movie of the summer, can there be any doubt whatsoever? Is it even a debate of what tops my list? No, no debate, no doubt. It's Avengers Endgame. This epic movie, 10 years in the making, just nailed the landing. Words can't really describe the awesomeness of this movie. Actually, you know what? It's beasts. Just like water, it's beasts. It's essential. I could sit here and talk about Avengers Endgame for about three hours, but I'm pretty sure no one would listen to that podcast. So I'll just say it now. It is at or I think above the pop culture status of Star Wars. I admit it too. I cried in this movie. I cried about six different times. I mean, from Tony talking to his father about, you know, his daughter and his impending birth to Captain America lifting up Mildjord, Thor's hammer, to uh, to Falcon saying, on your left, and the portals opening up, to Morgan saying that she wanted cheeseburgers and happy telling her, I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want. Just so many moments that, you know, brought tears to my eyes. And once again, such a satisfying ending to to that whole series from the MCU that started 10 years ago with Iron Man. 
I think it's something definitely that we're not going to see for a very long time. So once again, my number one summer movie of 2019, Avengers Endgame. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode two, week two of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and enjoyable. Make sure to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure to like it as well and maybe even comment on it as well. I want to thank Free Music Archive for the music in this podcast. This podcast was written, directed, and produced by Oscar Velasquez. Before I leave you, a couple reminders for the week. Remember, Tuesday will be our quiz over water. And on Friday, we will have our FRQ, our free response portion of the exam that will cover Chapter 2, Chapter 3, Experimental Design, CER, and Lab Safety. This is your host, Mr. Velasquez, signing off and reminding you, for your professor's sake, please review your notes and please try to read your textbook. And find those pill bugs.